1: And welcome to the Thursday edition of Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC Football Podcast. It's Thursday, which means I'm your host, David Ubbin, joined, as always, every Thursday by uh, our athletic college football editor, one of our many good editors in our college football team, Mitch Light. Mitch, uh, before we get into the show, the most interesting thing in the SEC this week, I feel like, off the field, uh, we got a poor one out today, No, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Ole Miss, of all of the not good teams in the SEC, I think they're the toughest out just because they can put up so many points, and if you don't show up and you have a couple busts, you're going to look up and they're going to have 40 points, and you better be able to score 50. So no game, uh, no final test for Texas A&M, and that wouldn't have necessarily helped Texas A&M's case, but I tell you what doesn't help is all the... Can we call it chicanery in Big Ten country this week? Uh... The Aggies getting getting squeezed out by uh, by Kevin Warren and and Co uh, up north.
2: Yeah, uh, to your original point, David, I totally agree. Ole Miss might not have the the best record, but tough out is the best way to say it. And yeah, it's, you don't want to play them, right? It's a it, your your defensive coordinator's ego is going to be bruised no matter mm-hmm. what. It, it's you're not going to shut them down, or very few teams will shut them down. And they've been a fun team to watch. Like I, outside of. You know, Florida's great to watch. Alabama, they might be the third or fourth most fun team to watch. In, yeah, that's a good in, way to describe them. In, in the SEC. Fun like for us to watch, not fun to play. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, A&M, like, we, we, I wanted to bring this up. It, it's Big Ten related, but it also affects the SEC. And I've had mixed feelings throughout this debate about Ohio State and how many games do they really need to be playoff worthy. And I, I work with Bill Landers, our Ohio State writer, so I, mm-hmm. I've seen pretty much every snap of Ohio State. And they're, they're a great team. They've got tons of talent. No question. I think they're one of the best four teams in the country. But Ohio State, of all programs, has taught us in recent years, you can be a great team, but if you have to play 12 games, you might slip up. Purdue, Iowa, we've Michigan, seen this Michigan State a couple years yeah, back. we've seen this program <laughs> do it. So there is something to be said for the Texas A&M. We've played 8, 9, 10, 11 game, more games. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think the point is moot because the committee has – consistently ranked Ohio State ahead of Texas now. Yeah, that's not there's, gonna change. Right. And there's no there's no announcement of a possible game this week. It might be getting too late for that, but they will soon announce that Ohio State will be playing for the Big Ten championship and we expect them to beat Northwestern. So I think Ohio State is in fine shape. But I just the more I think about it, there is credence to that argument.
1: Yeah, I just think it's um, you know I I, I I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, but just College football, there's so many made-up rules that are just the rules because people decided they're the rules, and that's never been more true this year. The Big Ten makes up rules four months ago and says, we're going to take the high road. We're not going to play in the middle of a pandemic. Then they decide, no, we're going to play, and we're going to have these rules, and now we're going to change these rules two months later. I'm fine with it. It, it, Listen, whatever, you know, it is what it is. We can qualm with the ethics of playing college sports in, in, in a pandemic. We've talked about that on this pod You know, I'm sort of fundamentally uncomfortable with it, but if people want to do it, everyone wants to agree with it. There's obviously economic reasons that go beyond paying coaches' salaries. There's a lot at stake here. Everybody's a willing participant. All these things, it's, it's a complicated question on whether or not you should be. I think should is a very complicated word. So, whatever. But it's never been more clear that so many of the rules in college football are just sort of made up and yes, you know that, that I don't want to get conference. Too a- each yes. conference
2: looks out for itself, which it no should. Cause there's no, there's, that's the way it is done. That's the way it's been done until there's a, it's more, you know, there's a governor, there's a commissioner,
1: David oven or something that, that yeah. rules the sport.
2: That's the way yeah. it's going
1: to be done. And I don't want to get too existential here, but Mitch, some of these made up rules might apply to amateurism as well. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Why do you have to bring that in? Can't we just talk about
2: (laughs) the the group? Yeah. And and one thing, too, and, you know, we we didn't – there's no way of predicting all this. We didn't know, although the experts said that they expected a winter spike.
1: We're seeing that, yeah.
2: It it would have been – it would have worked out a lot better if we could have started this thing in late
1: August and actually moved the season up. That's what I said at the time, and everyone seemed like that was not – it seemed like it made a lot more sense to just say, hey, do two weeks of camp, get this going, get done by Thanksgiving you know, if not earlier, I thought that was the move because things were pretty calm in July, but whatever, I guess I, uh, I'm not paid to make those decisions, but anyway, I am paid to win this podcast. So thank you guys for listening and allowing that to be possible. Thank you for subscribing and thank you of course for, uh, You know, making us a part of your week. We've got a full slate of content this week on The Athletic. We've had some great stories this week. Uh, Full coverage of Shane Beamer's hire. uh, Full coverage of, of course, the SEC slate ahead of time. And, of course, on this show as well. So thank you guys for listening. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you should change that. You can do that at theathletic.com slash grits. And, of course, you can also subscribe to this podcast and get us delivered directly to your device daily, every weekday. We're talking the SEC. So, Mitch... You like to throw some numbers at us on Thursday. Nothing like a good late week math class. What do you got for us this week? We we have not talked about. I don't know what's the word. The glory that
2: is Mississippi State Mike Leach running attacks. Did you <laughs> or know that lack, lack thereof? I suppose. Did you know that if, if Mississippi State were a person, that person would rank thirty second in the league in rushing. I like it. Thirty second. They have rushed for one hundred and ninety yards, as the te- As a team.
1: Well, that's, that's a good job for some people. Yeah. That's a long ways. That's almost two football fields. <laughs>
2: that is 690 yards fewer than the number 13 team in the league, LSU. It's the fewest in the league – well, it's going to be the fewest in the league since 2011 when Tennessee rushed for 508 yards in a season. So I, I shared this stat with a friend over uh, – texted him earlier, and he thought I meant 32nd in the nation in rushing. No, 32nd <laughs> in the league in rushing. So –
1: how many they quarterbacks are. are ahead of him on uh, or have rushed for more yards in Mississippi State this year? Surely, at a least a handful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
2: you know this is a team that's two and six with wins over a bad LSU team in Vanderbilt. But Mike Leach is finding a way to get it done on the recruiting trail. Just got a commitment from John Lewis, the number two rated player in the state, um, a top two hundred national player. He's actually out recruiting Lane Kiffin. If you would have told me before the season. Based on how their respective seasons have gone, we've talked about Lane Kiffin, how much fun that team is and how much how, the lack of fun that Mississippi State seems to be having that Mike Leach would be out-recruiting Lane Kiffin. I, I think that would turn some heads, and it is turning It's, it's turning mm-hmm. his head right it's here. It's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised. Yes. Uh, so this is the Auburn at – we're leading into the Auburn at Mississippi State game, if you have any deep thoughts on that game.
1: Yeah, well, I think you look at uh, this Auburn team – I mean – you know, you don't want to dwell too much on it, but I, I really thought we were going to see a leap from Bo Nix this year, and we haven't seen that. And I, I don't know what to make of him, you know. And, and of course, we'll see. I don't think Auburn is going to make a change, but, you know, we'll see. It's the SEC. It is Auburn. Yeah, it is, it is Auburn. It's SEC it? and it's Auburn. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. The, the Chad Morris thing in year one has not gone great. I thought that was going to work out pretty well for them. It has not. But I really want to know. You know, was some of the stuff that we saw with him in year one just sort of fool's gold or or, or, or what was it? Uh, you know, the offensive line has had some issues, um, but there's not, you know, I can't really point to one thing. Um, it's, been, it's been troubling to see. Not only, I, I think he looks pretty much like the same player that he was last year. We haven't seen that sort of year one to year two hop. And, you know, do we get some signs here late in the season that maybe there's something... Or something in there. Well, um, he made that spectacular
2: we'll play against Texas A. That, that was crazy. All, but that's that the was problem. like
1: that was that, downright Manzielian. I yes, must say it, it was.
2: <laughs> he, Bo Nix falls in. I call it the the Reggie Ball theory. Do you remember? You might be too young for Reggie. No, Ball I remember at Georgia Reggie Tech.
1: Ball, Mr. Mr. Megatron's quarterback over at, at Georgia Tech. At yes. A true
2: freshman had a good but not great year at Georgia Tech, and we just acted like because he was a true freshman that he was awesome and going to get better. So we spoke, just we as the college football fans and media, we spoke about him like he was this really, really good quarterback, and he never really got much better. He was just mm-hmm. a solid quarterback. And I remember once Vanderbilt played that team, and Bobby Johnson was just raving about Reggie Ball at a press conference, and then I happened to be walking out with him. I was like, he's not really that good, is he? And he's like, no, no. You know, like he was just like – it's just you, you said good things about Reggie Ball because he was a good dude and he made some great plays as a freshman and it he just never got Megatron better. And also. Yes, <laughs> it, it does. It does. Um, so that's kind of – we look at Bo Nix a little bit differently because of his name and the fact that he was a five-star quarterback. Yeah. But um, you're right. He They put they a lot on it. him and he just yeah. – he makes too many mistakes. The, the numbers are there. When, when he does not throw picks, they usually win. And when he makes mistakes, they don't. I mean, a lot of – you can say that about a lot of teams, but that's been the case.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you what's interesting about this week's schedule. What were the odds that coming into this year, in week 15, Georgia and Missouri was going to be the only matchup between ranked teams? <laughs>
2: Are you a conspiracy theorist that Missouri is ranked because the SEC – because the committee yes. wants to, to, to yes. say that Florida and Alabama have yes. played –
1: Okay, yeah. That absolutely Who happens. was the team Was it the first year? Was it Minnesota? It was Minnesota because it, of – TCU uh, played It's TCU, yes. That is – I 100% believe that happens. And
2: it's such an arbitrary number, like top 25. It's yes. It's just like, ooh, they're the tw- – so they the We have top 25 team, wins now, yes. <laughs> right, if they're the 27th best team, that win means nothing. But if they're the
0: 25th best team, it's yes. a great win.
1: Exactly. Yes, uh, I
0: I definitely believe that happens. Um. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Yeah, the first year when we were kind of figuring out how is this committee going to work and the, the metrics that they like to use, it shifts from week to week. Uh, I think one year it was wins over teams with winning records. I forget which year that was that they were that was the talking point every single week it's like again the beauty and the stupidity of college football is that the rules are made up and change every single year and you have to learn to love it because if you don't you will go insane and that is I, I I I am maddened by it but I love The stupidity of college. It is the best, dumbest sport every single year, and these are reasons why. Well,
2: the BCS was like that, too. They would change the formula every year. Schedule strength wouldn't matter, then it would matter, and then they would change. They'd bring in computers, and they'd do things, and that's like... I'm with you. Maddening that... They changed the way they crowned the champion almost every year. Like, yes. there was just a different... Where if you would have applied that formula to different years, you might have had different teams play for the national title. But In the is. last
1: couple of years, they pulled out the AP poll, right? But the coach's poll was still in there. I believe yes. that was right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, again, this is nothing new. So, uh... You know, get used to it, especially as we start talking about bowl tie ins, which I was told previously are ironclad. There's no bowl tie ins this year. (laughs) It's just like there's some loose ties, and now whatever bowl wants to do whatever they want, it is what it is. But anyway, Georgia, one of the, uh, the, the the committee is just absolutely um, mystified by Georgia. Still a top 10 team. Two losses. They haven't really beat anybody. Auburn's their best win, right? Yeah, Yeah. they'll have a chance for a quote-unquote top 25 win, but when they beat Missouri, if they do, it won't be a top 25 win anymore, of course, by this arbitrary... Georgia's a good team. They have a great roster. They're not a great team. They're probably not one of the 10 best teams right now. Uh, I don't understand what the committee is doing there with Georgia. I don't really see it. I think it's a lot of quote-unquote eye test and not a lot of... Like, at some point... It's a preconceived you,
2: notion. You just think Yeah, what you do
1: on the field has to matter. And, you know, Georgia has not been that impressive. Even when they've played teams that aren't great, it's not like they're flexing every week. And then they just coughed up some, some games late and they didn't beat, you know, Alabama or Florida. They haven't been that impressive very often. So, No, I mean,
2: look at the Kentucky game. Yeah. Look at the Mississippi State yes. game. They, mm-hmm. they just kind of slogged their way through both of them.
1: Yeah. So, you know, Missouri's got a shot in this game. I think, you know, we've mentioned Connor Bazelak on here. How exciting... Does he have to be from Missouri right now? Um, just places when you can find a freshman quarterback and say we're set for the next three years. Missouri's got a lot of things they got to build. You know the 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 ceiling for them always feels a little low. Um, but when you've got a quarterback, it makes everything better and it raises your ceiling a little bit. And I, no question, Tennessee has one. There's not a lot of times where Missouri gets to play Georgia. Uh, you know, and and has such a big advantage at, at quarterback, and and we'll see which eighteen Daniels can offer. But I like what I've seen from Basilak. Uh Georgia's defense beat up. Missouri, I I think can make this pretty interesting. Yeah, I think we've uh, that Missouri Arkansas game
2: was, I, I don't think we glossed over it but that was it wasn't it was talked about at the time if you were on social media it was everyone's was going wild on the deflected pass and then missouri comes down but that that's one of the games of the year as far as mm-hmm. just excitement and yeah i mean missouri's had a they they've had an exciting season i mean they you saw them in person and they didn't look good but that was obviously the right move to go to basilic and they beat yeah. lsu at home and you're, you're right when you have that quarterback of the future that you're sure about it 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 just answers so many questions because you cannot win without a good quarterback. It doesn't mean you will win if you have the right quarterback, but it helps so much. And they're a program that has, for a good stretch there early in the SEC, they were built on their wide receiver play. They had some mm-hmm. dudes at receiver, and they have not had them in the past few years. And, and that is something that, that uh, Eli Drinkwitz and that staff should be able to recruit to now that they have the quarterback. They've had good running backs it just the last couple of years. They haven't that guy. They, I don't think they've had that guy that really scares defensive coordinators.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I you look at the Tennessee Vanderbilt game. You know, obviously, we know these two teams pretty well. I, I, the coaching for your job game is sort of, I guess, true, but not fully true. If you're Tennessee, I I don't like the idea of making decisions based on what happens against Vanderbilt. That's not who you sort of. Uh, are matched up against. But that that's kind of where Tennessee is at right now. Tennessee has no excuse to, to lose this game or even any reason for this to be competitive. Vanderbilt well under the threshold to make this a no contest. It seems like they want to play. From your understanding, why does Vanderbilt want to play this so bad? Just because guys want to play? It's yeah, I think guys want to play simple? Tennessee.
2: Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it was strange last week because I talked to someone on Thursday who would know. Uh, just made a comment like, you guys all set for tomorrow? Like heading down to Georgia and like, yeah, you know, still waiting on those test results from today. But I didn't get the impression that they were that concerned. I might have been misreading the situation. And then mm-hmm. I'm at the doctor Friday and checking my phone. It's like the Georgia Vanderbilt game's canceled. So that yeah. that was a surprise. But I'm staring at the depth chart right now. And offensively, it's pretty what – it's been what it's been. Like I don't think they're missing a ton of guys who have played recently. Defensively, it's a train wreck. I mean, you've got – true freshmen all over the place. They've got one defensive end listed. They've mm-hmm. got safeties listed outside linebacker. They've got literally one outside linebacker. And we've talked all year, the strength of this Tennessee team when they're moving the ball is it's running game. So, I mean, that's that's the fear for, for Vanderbilt is just not being able to stop uh, that running game. And this is, you know, obviously a game that I've seen a lot over the years. And I've always looked at it as Vanderbilt is always motivating this game by the idea of doing something special, creating a legacy. Talk to the guys on the James Franklin era or or Kyle Shermer, Ralph Webb, guys that beat Tennessee three straight years, their legacy is set at Vanderbilt. Jay yeah. Cutler's legacy is set because he beat Tennessee. He never went to a bowl game, but he was the first guy in 23 years. I've always said Tennessee is motivated by fear of losing in this game. Players true. do not want no to upside, lose. No upside, all downside. So mm-hmm. they are motivated, but it's just because they don't want to lose. Like that 2005 team, at, right after the game – Philip Fulmer didn't congratulate Vanderbilt. he said we've hit rock bottom like that's how Tennessee views this and Vanderbilt guys take pride in winning this game they are I've been around some really bad Vanderbilt teams that are extremely motivated in this game and so I, I expect Vanderbilt to be motivated. I think Todd Fitch this you know their, their interim coach not like he's he's not a candidate for the job or anything but this is his first opportunity I don't think he's been an interim coach in his 25 30 year coaching career so I'm sure he's excited. So mm-hmm. I, I think they have a lot to play for this week. Now what happens after this week? Do they go down to Georgia the next week with an even more depleted roster? Who knows? But um, I, I'm with you. I think there's no reason that Tennessee doesn't
1: win this game, but I expect Vanderbilt to be motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, Arkansas has had a good year. They've been one of the best stories in the SEC this year. Um, you they know, have Sam lost Pittman. four or five. That's true. Sam Pittman has been a, a lot of fun. Yes. I feel bad for them. Hosting hosting Alabama, just playing a different sport. That is what it is. I, uh, you know, our Arkansas might be able to slow them down a little bit. Certainly more so than LSU. I don't think Alabama's going to put forty five up in the first half in this ball game. Uh, but, Bama too good. Yeah, too you have good. to be. You have to be perfect. Anything to, you Anything you're looking for in that ball game?
2: Not really. Like I look at the Kentucky game. I don't think many people. Paid attention early in the Alabama Kentucky game. And the final was like sixty one to three or whatever. But Kentucky played well in the first quarter. Yeah, they just turned it, like, the ball 10-3 over. Three
1: or something like that in the first quarter.
2: Yeah, they kept they turned the ball over in the red zone twice. So it just you have to be so perfect to even have a chance. Yeah, to put yourself in position to have a chance, and like I know Texas AM's ranked sixth or whatever they're ranked or fifth. But is this the biggest gap between one and two in the West we've seen? Consider- yeah, considering that Alabama just it's ran...
1: A, it's a 28-point gap, to be precise.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. And now, you could say, is A&M better than they were that day?
1: Probably, but Alabama's yeah. better, too. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't think if those teams played again, it'd be much different. I thought it was interesting, too. Mike Leach said on Wednesday that he feels like this is the best Alabama team that he's seen. I, I don't necessarily agree. I'm not sure how much of Alabama he was watching at Washington State. Right. I don't know why he necessarily... Said that, but I think he's just propping them up, you know. Yeah, I suppose. I, I, where do you think this team will rank? I do think that being in a pandemic year will sort of hurt their legacy in some ways, but I, I think weird as it is to say, uh, the 2018 team that lost to Clemson, I still think is probably their best team. Interesting, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that was unbelievably dominant.
2: It's hard to compare for me because. Use the term, we're almost playing a different sport than we were earlier Mm -hmm. in the Saban era when they were just built on defense. You look at the defensive numbers that teams are putting up now versus the early part of this decade, or the last decade, I guess. And offensive numbers, again, it's like a different sport. I think their legacy needs... I think we need to find out, assuming they win the national championship, who do they beat along the way? And how good are those teams? Mm -hmm. Now, I think the problem is, this Clemson team is good. It's not as good as the, the last few Clemson teams in Notre Dame doesn't get the respect that they don't get the Ohio State slash Clemson slash LSU of last year respect nationally. So if they beat – I mean, I know right now it's not set up that way, but if they beat Clemson and Notre Dame to win the national championship, I don't think people are going to be as impressed by beating Clemson in pr- previous years. Maybe I'm wrong, but do you get the feeling that this Clemson team is not – I know they lost a game that's not viewed as good as previous Clemson teams?
1: Uh, I think historically they probably will just because they'll have – you know, be quote unquote the Clemson teams with Trevor Lawrence and they'll all kind of be lumped together historically. It's more going to be the era of Trevor Lawrence instead of sort of the individual teams. I think when we're talking about these teams 10 years from now. Um, And so, you know, he has defined this era of Clemson football more so like you look back at the Saban era of Alabama football. There's never been a player like that, maybe to a in some in some ways, but he was injured a lot, so it was kind of complicated. There's never been quite one player that defined a quote-unquote era of Saban football. It's kind of just been the Saban era, you know? And so I think when you look back at this Clemson era, if you beat a, a Clemson team with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, you're kind of getting credit for beating all three of those teams, if that makes sense. That's how I think you're going to see this team historically. So if they do, you know, if they beat these Notre Dame teams and they beat an Ohio State or they beat a Clemson, ah... You know, I think this will go down as an all-time great Alabama team, and they and they should. Yeah, I
2: agree. And um, I mean, the good points about Clemson there. I'm looking forward to the championship games more than ever. I mean, I get myself psyched up for the SEC championship game every year, but it turns out half the time it's not a good game. But I'm we'll get to this next week. But I'm really intrigued by that game, and I, I'm intrigued again mm-hmm. by Clemson Notre Dame. Uh, again, not intrigued by the Big Ten title game, Ohio State Northwestern. Um, but I think that's going to be a fun Saturday with those two huge games with such ramifications on the playoff.
1: Yeah, LSU in Florida. By the way, you know, let me let me get a,
2: let me get a little plug in here, please. I don't, do. I don't know if you man if you saw it, but check it out. If not, Alan Taylor, our Florida writer, wrote a really fun story ten years ago. Was the LSU fake field goal against Florida, where the holder pitched the over overhead. His head yes. and bounced it. And the uh, some great anecdotes in that story. One being that Joe Robinson, the special teams coach for LSU, told everyone but the holder and the kicker that the fake was on. He told you can see Alan Im- embedded a video. We embedded a video in there where, as uh, I forgot the kicker, Jasper was running onto the field. He pulls him back, and the name of the play was Tiger. The fake. He's like Tiger, Tiger. So, like, there's a quote from Jasper saying, like, the two people that it was most important to note did not know that the fake was coming until the last minute. Um, <laughs> so just so some real fun stuff in there. He tracked down a lot of people. So that was, that was a good story. So,
1: so carry yes. on. Yes, good stuff. Well, Florida's got Kyle Pitts. LSU had baby Kyle Pitts yes. uh, and Eric Gilbert. Uh, you know, uh, officially they're going to call it an opt-out. I, I don't know what you want to call it. LSU seems to believe they have a chance to keep Eric Gilbert you know, is a sort of a toothpaste out of the tube situation. We'll see. But unless, watching LSU just makes me kind of sad now. <laughs> like it was interesting early in the season. You know, we've mentioned on this show. You know, the the, the and the comparisons to Auburn. It's it's probably not quite to that level. But Florida is really fun to watch, and LSU just kind of makes me sad. I guess. So yeah. I, I, I'm not really excited to watch this ball game.
2: Yeah, LSU's the kind of the embodiment of a washed up athlete. Like I, yeah. I, I don't remember this. I'm not this old. But you heard stories of like Willie Mays playing for the Mets when he couldn't like his knees, and it was like old time baseball. People say how it was sad to watch them. Like we know it's still LSU. We know it's this great program, but they play like they're a middle or bottom third SEC team this year. Um, here, here's a number for you. Florida is averaging 8.1 yards per play in SEC games. For conference games only, The I, I believe this has got to be an all-time record. I only have numbers from the last 10 years, but as we've talked about, teams weren't putting up numbers like this in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. LSU last year broke the SEC record for 7.9 yards per play in league games. Florida right now, 8.1. Um, if you've seen LSU's defense, that number won't go down this week. It will probably go up. So, yes. I, yeah, I, I think Florida rolls. I think Dan Mullen... Um, although, as Alan Taylor pointed out, in his, his game story too, we saw and you were there. We saw a slightly conservative Dan Mullen at times against yeah, a bit. Tennessee. Didn't go for it a couple times when you thought he should or would. But I think any any time you have the opportunity to uh, put a big number up on LSU, he, he's going to take. And in, in, I'm sure from his Mississippi State days, I wouldn't say it's bad blood, but there's a lot of
1: rivalry between those two yeah. programs. I think he I think he knew thirty points was going to win him the game against Tennessee, and I think he didn't want to give Tennessee any any more odds to, uh, you know, it's funny because Tennessee did go 90 yards three times in that game to score, but the odds of them going 90 yards were not great. Uh, You know, Florida's defense is one of the only ones that would allow that, but it's, uh, you know, I think now that's the, I want to say it's the 14th time in 31 games that Tennessee has failed to score 20 points under Jeremy Pruitt and against FBS teams.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know this better than anyone. the you can stack up a lot of negative numbers about the Jeremy Pruitt era.
1: Yes, you can. It's hard not to. And people do. <laughs> yeah. What, do you uh, make, did you see this
2: clip? And I'm just – I don't want to make too much of it. Someone retweeted it. That was Bailey was sacked – five or Tennessee quarterbacks were sacked five or six times and not one time did an offensive lineman come pick him up.
1: Did you see that? I did see that, yes. Did you read anything uh, into that or are we just looking for something? Uh, you know, that's sort of a complicated question because well, – That's why you're here, David. Yes, I'm going to answer this complicated question. Jeremy Pruitt has talked a lot about in the last couple years. He wants his quarterback to be a guy that affects other people, everyone around him. Uh, Jarek Garantano loved by his teammates. Not necessarily like a like a necessarily a fiery guy that's going to like, everyone's going to be like, I want to run through a brick wall for that guy. The guy who most closely embodied that in some ways was probably Brian Maurer, who's been injured and as a host of other things, keeping him off the field. Harrison Bailey, you know, is a true freshman, young kid. He's, you know, the times that I've been around him, he's, he's kind of a little bit quiet, a little bit. Um, part of that might just be youth. Um, it's tough to know. You know, I, I, it's not a good thing, but I don't know that that's going to be a complete indictment on a culture. You know, I, I, it's tough to know. I think everyone around Tennessee is, is frustrated with how the season is gone. Um, you know, it's sort of a, uh, the times that I saw those sacks, it looked like a lot of looking around more than like, you know, I'm trying to show up my quarterback. I think people understand, you know, that it was probably time to move on from Jerick Arantana, which it seems like Tennessee is done. But it's uh, – I did find it alarming, I guess. I don't think like I said, I don't think I'm going to take it as like an indictment of the culture, but it's not an endorsement. So That's, that's a that's good way to say where it. It's it. about Brian Mauer,
2: Jason Tarver, Vanderbilt's defensive coordinator last year. I used to when I was a sideline reporter, I would interview him every week and then we'd just talk afterwards and he's now a mm-hmm. linebacker coach with the Browns. He loved Mauer. He thought and he knew Bailey was coming in. He thought Maurer was going to be the long term answer at Tennessee. I just thought that was well, it's always you spin always the good wheel to get at, a coach's perspective. You
1: spin the wheel at Tennessee, it might end up being Mauer again because every week it feels like it's pretty random. You know, last week you have you know Garantino is coming out of quarantine, so he's kind of not a factor. They start Bailey. Bailey does okay. Then they bring in Shroud, but then they were playing Brian Maurer for like one snap, and then. <laughs> all right whatever i don't know like i i can't really you know i'm i'm told that jerry pro doesn't want anyone to ask uh, about his quarterback situation ever 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 again so it's not that anyone
2: cares about who the quarterback is at tennessee (laughs) you know i mean this this is a bigger bigger subject and i know (laughs) i know you know this but coach you know why you make so much money because so many people care and you know that's one thing these guys should i'm they know but i'm sure he's frustrated but that's you can go coach at D3 and make, I don't know what D3 coaches make, and you won't have anyone ask you about your quarterback situation. So
1: that's true. That's that's the way they, you know,
2: that's the profession they've chosen.
1: You don't fill 100,000-seat hundred thousand stadiums uh, without a little promotion. Tennessee has not done much of that this year. Exactly. Anyway, that will do it for our Thursday show. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for uh, subscribing. Again, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you want to listen to this show ad-free uh, on our uh, – uh, app which is a fantastic app you can read all of our stuff on there you can uh, subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash grits we got a great buy one get one free deal going right now for uh, the holidays so if you like us or you're willing to check us out a friend a family member uh, you know you can you can uh, go two for one there thank you guys for listening thank you again I'm your host David Ubbin my co-host Mitch Light we'll see you guys again on Friday <music>